Show of hands, how many of you have enjoyed this series? Like, have gotten something out of it, feel maybe stronger in your faith? Um, how many of you would say, honestly, this series has challenged you a bit? Yeah, good. Um, I hope you value being a part of a place that uh, doesn't tickle your ears but challenges them. Yeah. I think that's how we grow. Y'all with me? We, we grow when we're pushed, and we've got we've to do some work, and we've got to go inward. And today's going to be uh, a message that I think is going to stay in the vein of that. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read our opening scripture today, and then we are going to pray, and uh, we're going to ask God to speak to us today through his word. Does that sound good with everybody? And if you're a guest with us today, come back next week. Um, <laughs> don't worry, you'll get it in a minute. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through to 15. Um, says this, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as is proper for women who profess to worship God. Verse 11, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Today, as we continue on in our series, Tethered, I want to speak to you from the subject, women and leadership. Where does this peace go? as we deal with the Wells position on women in leadership and within the church. Will you pray with me? Oh God. <laughs> we come to your word today with humble hearts. I pray that all of us in this room today can come to your word today with um, an open mind and a soft heart that with humility we can look into your scripture and understand what it is that you're saying about something um, that for many of us is a, is a hard wrestle. Like many of these topics in this series, it's, it's difficult to navigate at times. And so God, I pray this, that where the enemy might try to cloud things or distract us, God, I, I pray that we would just have attention today, clarity today, and above all else, I pray that there would be unity in your house today. For your word does declare that where there is unity, it commands a blessing. And so I thank you for your word today. I thank you that your word is authoritative, that it is powerful, that it corrects and it changes and it rebukes and it reproofs us. And so God, today as we preach your word, may we do so with um, a clear conscience. May we do so with nothing in the way. God, we need your words, not our words. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and the church shouted. And the church shouted. Amen. Amen. Show of hands. How many of you have built Ikea furniture before? Where's that? Come on. All right, good. Some of you. Most of you. Uh, let me ask a better question. How many of you have lost your salvation building Ikea furniture before? Um, let's ask another question. How many, have, how many of you who are parents have had your, your children challenge your word choice while building Ikea furniture? Okay. Fair enough. Um, I've built Ikea furniture, um, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a gift that I have, um, a spiritual gift that I have, but when I build Ikea furniture, there's always pieces left over. Um, 
and I think it's a spiritual gift because the thing still stands with all of these pieces left over. So I'm like, it's a, it's a modern day miracle. And so, um, but it's the most frustrating thing that I go through. Like when I build something, there'll be like three pieces of wood left and 19 screws. And I'm like, like, and then how many of you maybe have done this before with Ikea furniture? And then you ask this question, what do I do with this piece? Right? Have you ever been there before? Uh, we built a barbecue that that, my, uh, that Erica got me for Father's Day, and there was there were screws left over, which inevitably I was like, "This is probably not safe for our barbecue to have leftover screws." I, I've built bicycles on Christmas Eve, which uh, ends up in a bicycle that doesn't have all the pieces a part of it, and marriage counseling. So, like, there's <laughs> things that happen, but like maybe maybe like me, you've been in a moment where you've tried to build something, and, and there's pieces left over. You look at the instructions, you look at the box, and, and you kind of go like, well, "What are these pieces?" For what, what do I do with them? Well, often this is how we come to Scripture. We open up the Bible and we see all, and we see all these verses written in all kinds of different ways. The, biblical, uh, the, the, the Bible is written to us with a historical understanding, poetic, it's revelatory. There's letters, there's firsthand accounts. It's by various authors and other times and other cultures. And like looking at a bunch of pieces, we try to figure out how to use them without really knowing what they are for and where they belong. You ever approached approach the Bible like that before? The subject that we are looking at today is one of those pieces. It's a piece that is highly volatile and often a dividing piece at that. Our aim today, as Pastor Howie and I speak this message out, our aim today is to bring clarity and unity and to help us as a church understand why we operate the way that we do. Yeah, the question of the role of women in leadership and authority within the church is not a salvation issue, as many of the things that we have discussed are. But it is really important that we come to consensus on this because it has so much to do with the life of our church as a family together. If we're in disagreement over this, we're going to have all kinds of tensions and problems that aren't what we're called to be as the church in unity uh, with God. And so, even Pastor Jason and I come from different backgrounds in the way that we've grown up with this issue and in, in presence in our life. So I know you grew up in a, I mean, just in a different way than I did. You want to speak to that? Yeah, so I grew up in a church, uh, the church that I grew up in uh, from literally like nine years old until I went to college uh, was a church that affirmed women in leadership, preaching, teaching, eldership roles, so on and so forth. And so, um, so I was used to something. I had an experience at nine years old on. So I never really questioned it. And then when I went to Bible college, uh, the church that I was a part of while I was at college, the same exact thing. Women were affirmed in every space of leadership. So you can see and recognize that my experience, if not careful, could dictate my belief in something. And the reason that we're walking through this is because as we walk through this, as Pastor Howley talked about just in a moment, uh, because we have different experiences, we can't allow experience to dictate our convictions. Yeah. We have to allow truth to help us understand our convictions. Y'all with me? And so I had to do the hard work, especially when I got into Bible college, uh, aiming to be a pastor and pastoring a church. I had to do the hard work of coming to a place of conviction on a thing, even if that place that I ended up was different than what I had been raised in. Does that make sense? Now, uh, I'll give you the end of the story. Uh, I came to a conviction through biblical study over many, many, many years that affirmed my experience, but I did not allow my experience to affirm it first. All right, so that's my backdrop. I've always been in a positive space. Yeah, mine's the exact opposite. The church that I grew up in did not allow women to lead, teach, preach uh, from the pulpit over men. 
And so even if a woman came up on the stage to make an announcement, it would be off to the side, not behind the pulpit, so that we wouldn't confuse that. And uh, as I went to college, I had uh, women professors. I, I have a master's degree in theology, and I'd have women professors that would teach me. And I'd be like, man, I, I learned a lot from that person. Like, um, but if they're not supposed to teach me, I got to come to some place to reconcile that. And uh, in my adulthood, I went to a church that allowed women to preach behind the pulpit, but only under the authority of male leadership. And that caused me to just like start asking a lot of questions. The, the cut and dry was kind of easy for me. The, the blending of the two made it much more complicated. And so in my 30s, I started diving in and asking some of the questions to under, try to understand this in a better way. So I think today what we're going to do is show you the math of our con of the work that we've done individually and then together today uh, to go through this. Yeah, and I think it's really important for us to recognize Howie's conviction on this issue is not a conviction that was found just because he came on staff here. This is not a new conviction right, for you. No. And my conviction the same. We've worked through this. So I just want to say this out the gate. This is our bias before we get into the points today. Um, we're not wrestling through something. Does that make sense? Uh, we're not conflicted in this issue. Uh, it's not like we're like, well, guys, we're trying to figure this out. No, we actually have firm conviction in this issue, which is why why we're teaching it, because we are, uh, concerns maybe not the right word, but we as, as leaders, our entire pastoral leadership team and staff, our goal is to make sure that there's unity within our church. Yeah. I also want to say this as a qualifier. Um, if you're a guest with us today, uh, this is like maybe a weird teaching to come into um, in, the middle, uh, in, in the middle of a series or the back end of a series. That's, what, that's why I said come back, although next week's message is going to be spicy as well. So um, uh, like here, just, just stay here for the next few months and it'll be fine, okay? Um, but uh, the reason that we're doing this is like, we just believe that we're in a moment right now when it comes to all of these things that we need to be very clear yeah. within the church because clarity is kindness. Mm -hmm. All right. And so that's our, that's our attempt today. So uh, with all that being said, Pastor Howie. All right. Yeah. So we're going to do a little bit of academic to start. This has been our pattern through the series. And then we'll get into some practical stuff. So we're going to talk a little bit today. You're going to learn a little bit on what it looks like even to read and study the Bible. And so I want to give you the very first point, and it's this. Start at the start. We must start at the start. Because one of the basic principles of understanding the Bible is to start at the beginning. Ask questions like, what was God's original design for this? How, how did he want things to be? Because I can have all kinds of ideas of how things should be or how I would like them to be, but if we don't look at God's design, we might not get it right. right. So we're going to start in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26 or 28, and then verse 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And God saw all that he made and it was very good indeed. Amen. So we have talked about this already. Humanity is created in the image of God. Humanity is created in the, in the image of God and, and like the other objects of creation, there's, there's pairings. We have the heavens and the earth, light and dark, water and sky, and there's this coupling between male and female, but also distinctions between them. Yep. 
God created a humanity that is male and female. And we could, all, we could honestly spend all day in this passage, but I want to point out just a couple of things as we start. Both male and female are created in the image of God. Both male and female are created in the image of God. And both male and female are given dominion over the whole earth. Both. And the good of creation was made very good by the addition of both male and female. And we find this, it's reinforced as we move along in Genesis to chapter 2. Because the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Write down the word helper and write down the word corresponding. We're coming back to these little asterisks there for you. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he'd taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man." So we read right away in Genesis 2.18, it was not good when the man was alone. Everything had been good to that point, but that was not good. Now, when you hear the word helper, it's probably not what you initially think that it means. Because I uh, sometimes will be working on my car, and my nine-year-old daughter will come out, and I'll be like, and someone will, like a neighbor will come over and like, oh, daddy's little helper. That is not what helper means. <laughs> not what helper means. The woman was not man's little helper. Okay? It was not a task that the man could do on his own, and then the woman happened to be able to find the wrench that fit the right thing to be able to help him out, right? Helper means nothing like that. Because when we go through Scripture, what we find is that helper is almost always used to describe God himself. We read verses like Psalm 33:20. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Psalm 70, verse 5, I'm oppressed and needy. Hurry to me, God. You are my help and my deliverer, Lord. Do not delay. And like help comes from the very nature of God, helper is the very nature of woman. It's out of her strengths and abilities, not as an inferior. And then when you, we look at the word corresponding, or some translations will say suitable. Corresponding or suitable helper is not someone who's exactly the same or someone who's wildly different. It's rather someone who's been desi designed differently in such a way that they fit together to do precisely what they were designed to do. Yeah. Write this down, please. Man and woman were designed to convey the image of God and together rule over creation. Man and woman were designed to convey the image of God and together rule over creation. But it was all ruined through sin. It was all ruined through sin. We find the consequences of their sin in Genesis 3. God, this is God speaking. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. They are supposed to have dominion together. Now it's ruined and the dominion's been distorted in a way that it was not designed to be. But just because it's been distorted, we shouldn't continue in the way things are just out of pragmatism. Yep. 
We're called to live in a hope, a hope of the reality of Jesus' kingdom. And ultimately, we believe creation will be renewed to the way it was supposed to be. And we're called to live out that reality. 2 Peter 3.13 says, Based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. There's a future and a present reality and we're to live as new creations. So this is the design we see from the beginning, male and female, man and woman together, equal in status and cooperation, equal in authority and value. It's super clear in Genesis what God designed it to be. And when we look at the whole narrative of the Bible, it paints a picture different than the one from that very first verse that we read today. Yep. So the second thing is this, the way that we study our Bible, and especially in relation to this topic, number two, is that we must seek scriptural continuity. We must seek scriptural continuity, okay? Seeking, write this down if you're taking notes, seeking scriptural continuity helps remove the context of me. What is the context of me? It's creating an understanding of scripture based on how one simply feels about it. Y'all, y'all with me? The question to ask when we are approaching scripture is not how does this make me feel or how do I feel about it? That's a faulty question. The question we should be asking when we go to scripture is what is God saying to me through this? Yes. Right? Paul didn't write Romans 4 so that you could feel some sort of way about it. Five of you over here. We're going to talk to this section over here, okay? Right? Paul didn't care what you and I thought about it. He wrote what he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. And so many of us, we go to scripture just be, and we look at it simply through the context of me. And we, we can't do that. Okay. So we all come to the journey of interpreting scripture, typically through the lens of feeling. And we ask this question, but that's not how we examine scripture. Okay. Seeking scriptural continuity is the journey of understanding a subject or an issue from greater, from a greater scriptural perspective. What do we see? Here's some questions. What do we see across the whole of scripture? If we zoom into one, two, or three verses, if we're not careful, we can inadvertently or purposely establish a line of thinking and teaching that may not be intact with the whole. Mm-hmm. Okay? I often hear people do this with Jesus' teaching found in Matthew 22, 34 through to 40. How many of you have heard this scripture before? He said to him, uh, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, if we just zoomed in and heard that scripture only, how many of you would agree that it sounds like Jesus is saying nothing else is important, just these two? But how many of you know that that actually wouldn't be what Jesus is suggesting? Because how many of you would understand, Jesus says a lot of things after he says this that are equally as important. People take this scripture very seriously, as we should. But, this, but does this section of scripture mean that we throw out all other parts of the Bible? Does this section of scripture suggest that all other areas of the Bible are not as essential or applicable? No way. But this is what people do. And then they make bumper stickers out of them. And that becomes our theology. Okay? They say, see, Jesus said that we simply were to love God and love people. That's it. Well, if that was it, why do people have many other issues with Scripture? 
We shouldn't worry about anything then. We should just throw it all out and be like, we're just going to edge everything on those two things. Love God, love people. Well, it sounds great. It sounds awesome. But how many of you know the Bible has a lot more to say on things? And so we've got to look at it from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, like many other moments of Scripture, is answering a specific question, a question that he knew was coming from a specific posture. He was not answering a question and in his answer negating all the other things that had been said or would be said. So we have to look at the whole of Scripture and keep in its proper place, keep Scripture in its proper place throughout the whole framework of the Bible. So when Paul gives his discourse on women speaking and being an authority, we must make the same consideration, especially where there is a deviation from what we see happening in many other parts of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Y'all with me? The reality is that across Scripture, we see women in a very different light than the one presented to us in 1 Timothy 2 and what we will read later in 1 Corinthians 14. I want to show you a picture um, really quick. These, these are the, all the women that are uh, talked about in Scripture just in the Old Testament. Okay? Just in the Old Testament. We're going to go, now there's more of them. We couldn't fit it all on one screen. So we've got women of the Old Testament and women of the New Testament. Okay? You can't even read those. There's so many of them. Okay? Now, this is an important reality. I'm not saying, here, here's what I want to say, okay? We, this list of women does not exonerate us from the total reality of this conversation. In other words, we don't go and go, like, see, the Bible talked about women. Women can do whatever they want. That's not how we win the argument. What I'm presenting to you, though, is the beginning of the reality that we've got to look across Scripture, and Scripture tells us that women are highly valued. Yeah. Seven of you said amen. I want to try this one more time. Y'all seem to struggle with this one. The Bible is very clear that women are valued. Keep that posture because it's going to get even trickier, okay? All right? So, but this is a starting point. We don't go be like, oh, well, see, look, at there's hundreds of women in Scripture that everything must go. No, but it's the start of the value proposition. This is scriptural continuity. What does all of Scripture say about an issue? because scripture interprets scripture, okay? And so this is a really big issue. Another consideration we must take when seeking scriptural continuity is the issue of prescriptive verses versus descriptive sections of scripture. Simply put, prescriptive scripture is telling us what to do. Descriptive is telling us how things were. This is an essential consideration when examining the prohibition scriptures concerning women in leadership, teaching, and authority. Was Paul's prohibition a prescription for all of time? Or was it descriptive as he dealt with a specific issue concerning the church he was instructing? In this case, the church at Ephesus and Corinth. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, How many parents do we have in the room? Show of hands. Parents? Parents in the room? Okay, cool. Uh, If you are not a parent, I'm just doing this as this is my experience, but you'll get it because you were a child once, okay? How many of you, better question, how many of you have gone on a road trip before? Road trip? Okay, when you were a kid, road trip when you were a kid, okay? Most of us haven't here. I've done this with my kids before. Kids are in the back. I've got three kids, okay? 13, 12, 6. Now, we'll be driving along, and we're doing our thing, and inevitably, an eruption occurs in the back seat, okay? And the kids are yelling. Two out of three of them are yelling. The other one's kind of like, I don't know what's going on right here, and they're in the corner, right? But there's anarchy in the back seat. Two kids yelling. So what do the parents do? Driving. And you've heard this said before. I want everybody to be quiet, right? That's, that's what's said. And then the one kid goes, well, I wasn't talking. And you're like, doesn't matter. 
in order to get control over things, I need all of you to be quiet. Y'all see what I'm saying? And so there's this general prohibition that's created in order to deal with something in real time that's a little out of control. Pastor Howie's gonna talk about that in a few minutes, but this is prescriptive versus descriptive that we're dealing with. The view that we have through biblical work concerning these prohibitions is that they were descriptive as we see them concerning the church in Ephesus and in Corinth. Paul was dealing with something very specific to those two churches. We're gonna address this in a minute. Okay, But the reason that we see them as descriptive is because of other sections of scripture where we see the opposite in action. Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. Is it all right if we do Bible today? Okay, Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 11, is the deployment of what we call the fivefold ministry gifts. It's really important because this fivefold ministry of gifts is actually gonna be what the foundation of the bedrock of the church is built on. Watch this. And he himself gave some to be, speaking about God, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body for Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now this is really important to notice is that this section of scripture has no gender bias whatsoever. And you would think that Paul, knowing what he was instituting was gonna be a bedrock of the, of the growth and the building of the church, you would think that he would attach then something to it if it was of great importance. You all see what I'm talking about? This is literally the design of the church for us. And it's really important. Now, let's go to another section of scripture, Acts chapter two, verses 14 to 18. Peter's gonna insert in one of the greatest messages given in the New Testament, he's gonna insert a prophecy from the Old Testament. So this is Peter showing us Old Testament is still relevant in New Testament. Watch what happens. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all of you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. He's speaking about everything that was happening in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had fall. It was a breakout. It was amazing, right? On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Listen to what he says. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. It was like Peter was saying, and for those of you in the back, let me just reassert this one more time. Both men and women will prophesy. Now, this term prophecy will again be used in Paul's letter to the Corinthians as women are being engaged in it. Paul literally saying to the church at Corinth, women will be prophesying. And then a few chapters later, as we will talk about in a few moments, he will then say women are to be quiet. Which is it, Paul? And that's why we have to use some deductive logic here and work through the entirety of scripture from the beginning to the end to seek scriptural continuity as to what the Bible says about half of the population of people, women. Let's just let it sit for a second. Y'all are real quiet today. Come on, everybody lean in. Every turn you never say he's talking to you. Come on, everybody turn back to your neighbor and say, I know I'm listening, be quiet. 
So we see this prohibition, but if we look across Scripture as a whole, continuity would tell us that in many other moments, there is a different thing happening. And Paul would be the instigator of those differences. Within Scripture, we see, we see Philip's daughters in Acts chapter 29, verse 9, operating in a way that is incongruent with what has been prescribed in Scripture. Priscilla in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. Priscilla and Aquila, we will find out, uh, correct me if I'm wrong off the top of my head, but Priscilla and Aquila would be the ones, Priscilla specifically, that would teach Apollos. Hold authority over and teach to correct him. It's just a little freebie. Romans chapter 16, verses three through five. Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, verses one to two, how he's going to talk about her in just in just a few minutes. Romans 16 and verse 7, Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11, uh, Yodia and Sinchi in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 3, uh, Nympha in Colossians 4 verse 15, Aphia, <laughs> her name is fun, Aphia, Susan, uh, Philemon chapter 2, <laughs> some of you will get that joke, the chosen lady, 2 John chapter 1, the chosen sister, 2 John verse 13, and probably Lydia in Acts chapter 16 verse 40, Okay. Most notable would be Phoebe, found to be described as a deaconess in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. So here's, what, here's the point of this. We've got so much information that we're going to be throwing at you. We're trying to condense this because the last service went really, really long. Um, there's going to be a lot of conversation that I know is going to come out of this. Uh, what about? Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Stop doing the whatabouts, okay? Because when you do the whatabouts, while we're talking through this, you miss the things that we're answering the whatabout question with. So I just need you to, to just to lean in today. But the, first, the second thing that we have to do is we got to seek scriptural continuity. What does all of scripture say about this issue rather than just one verse about it? Yeah, uh, well, in point three, I'm going to talk about some whatabouts. Let's go. <laughs> um, point three is this. We must synthesize what stands out. These are your whatabouts. This is the first passage that we read at the beginning. What about that? Some of you haven't even been able to pay attention for the first two points because you're like, but the Bible said they were supposed to be silent. Right? I mean, the Bible said it. Why don't we do it? Well, we're going to talk about that because we have to in order to have an honest take on Scripture. We can't avoid things because they don't fit the paradigm. Right? Can I say that again to you? We can't avoid things in Bible because they don't fit our paradigm. We have to deal with them. We have to process them. Otherwise, we're not being intellectually honest. We're not being faithful to Scripture. We're not, we have to be able to work through these things. And if the only reason that you hold this position and just you're staying in line with this particular piece of Scripture is because Uncle Chuck said something one time, that's not like, that's not a good enough, that's not conviction. Yeah. Do y'all, y'all see what I'm saying? Because yeah. people say things all the time. You've got to come to conviction of Scripture. What we're doing is we are showing you the math on our conviction here at the well. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to talk about two different things right now. We're going to talk about the keep silent passages, which are in 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians. And then we're going to talk about qualifications of elders, deacons, and overseers. Uh, because we have to talk about them. Um, we can't avoid them. So let's jump in first to 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. And that's where we read, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I don't allow a woman to teach her to have authority over a man. Instead, she's to remain quiet because at first glance, it seems really clear, right? It seems like really obvious. Come on, you're like, I can read, you can read. Like, it all makes sense. But when we expand out to be able to read this in context, and we're only going to read, we're only looking at eight eight verses, and you can see really quickly that it's not just that uh, neat and clean. So we read this at the beginning, but I want you to see this again. Uh, We're going out to verse eight. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, 
lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman's to learn quietly with full submission. I don't allow a woman to teach her to have authority over a man. Instead, she's to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. So if you see that in context, you realize pretty quickly that something's happening there. Like it's not just a, a list of instructions to a context of nothing. Yep. Right? We have things happening. There are angry, argumentative men in this context. Yes? We have women who are dressed very fancily in this Fancifully, I don't know, what's the right word? Like They're it. fancy dressed in yep. this place. Bougie. Bougie, okay. Bougie. Bougie. We'll go with bougie. I'm all good with it. But there's certain things that are happening in this moment. And so Paul says, hey, angry, argumentative men, knock it off. We want you to raise holy hands and pray. Hey, fancy dressed women, trying to look the part rather than be the part, knock it off. Be the part. Be the part. So why when we take those two things and realize real quickly that there's very specific things happening, do we take the next verses and make them all the time in all places for everywhere? It doesn't make any sense. It's not scripturally congruent. Right. And it doesn't, it just doesn't follow. So what we find really quickly as we read it, that Paul is writing to very specific issues at a specific place and time in this moment. And so if this is the context of particular issues in Ephesus, it would naturally follow that these statements made about learning quietly with full submission and not allowing women to teach or usurp authority over men are also dealing with particular issues in Ephesus. Because the rest of 1 Timothy is all about false teaching. It's all about things being taught that shouldn't be taught. They're all over the place. And we read in 1 Timothy 5 that there's young widows causing a lot of problems. So it would make a lot of sense that these young widows are also these women that are disrupting what's going on, causing a lot of problems through false teaching. And like the children in the backseat of the car, it's like, yep. hey, knock it off. Yep. Everybody be quiet. And it's important to know Ephesus was the place where you had priestesses who were being who were coming to Jesus yes. out of the out of the idol worship of Ephesus. And they are coming in with their faith backdrop, mm -hmm. trying to enforce it to a degree within the current reality. And Paul's yeah. saying right now that what I need to do in order to make sure that things don't get wild and out is I need to stop things from happening. So he put measures and controls in place in order to guard what was happening in Ephesus at that time. Yeah, because it's not a coincidence that the one passage in Scripture that specifically prohibits women from teachings addressed to the church in which false teachers were successful in influencing women. Do you get that? The restriction is because the influence on the false teaching was on women. So we restrict the women from teaching until they're able to learn. Yep. Until they're able to submit to the, to the teaching of what God is wanting to teach them. Now, the tradition that I grew up with would say, because, you, because this verse mentions Adam and Eve, well, we got to go back to creation because it's a created order thing. It's a creation principle. But what we find really quickly is that, that that's not the instance here. Simply referring to Adam and Eve doesn't force you to have to go back to the beginning and say it's a created order unless you're willing to take in the whole narrative that we already read. Because yep. what we find out really quickly is that Eve learned 
the restrictions, they're from Adam, not directly from God. Adam heard them from God. Eve heard them from Adam. Eve messed up because she didn't have accurate teachings. It fully explains the context of the passage. So don't fall into the same temptation as Eve when you have the wrong teaching and the wrong understanding. So 1 Timothy 2 is interpreted as a general, universal, and timeless prohibition against women teaching and exercising authority in the church. It would be inconsistent with what Paul teaches and practices in his other letters, with what women actually did in the churches he planted, and with the other biblical evidence we've already looked at. So we're going to jump to another verse. 1 Corinthians 14 says, The women should be silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home, since it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Again, you got to look at what this whole letter is about. We do not have time to go into all of 1 Corinthians. But in the words of Pastor Jason, it was wild and out. Wild and out. Wild and out. Wild and out. There's a man openly bragging about sleeping with his mother-in-law. Yep. And that's like the context of the church. And they were getting drunk on communion. Getting drunk on communion. We talked yep. about that last we week. We talked about that last There's week. There's absolute chaos in the worship service. Yep. It's a rave. Like we got it. <laughs> First century raves. <laughs> it's going nuts. Yep. People are drinking. They're getting drunk. People are shouting. <laughs> everything's, everything's going all. Glow sticks everywhere. Glow sticks. You it know. Was wild and We out. got it all going on. Yeah. <laughs> but the church is struggling with how to live a newly ordered life in Jesus with their past. Anybody experienced that before? Struggling to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus with what I know from my past. We, so Paul's like, hey, rather than shout stuff out during church and make it more chaos, why don't you just go ask your husband at home? You have all these questions. We want to answer them, but stop it in this space. We can't have it in this place and space. We got to have some order. And, and, and the, this is important, and I'm getting this off our notes really quick. I know, <laughs> I know but the way that you approach, do you hear the, the tonal difference in how he's approaching that conversation piece right there? Because from what many of us do is we listen to Paul's, Paul's writing. We listen to it with ears of power and authority rather than compassion and sincerity. I want to ask you a serious question. How many times have you studied scripture and looked at it through the lens of a like dominating, authoritative, power-oriented discourse versus through a compassionate and sincere pastor appealing to his church saying, guys, we got to get some stuff in order because if we're not careful, this thing is going to burn down. Yeah. It's yeah. a shepherd. Do you see, you see what I'm talking about? And I think that's what's hard because we have a tendency to look at scripture just through our Western eyes power dynamic, uh, like top-down leadership, so on and so forth. And many of us, because of our backgrounds and our histories, we approach Scripture, looking at Scripture and hearing Scripture through the voice of somebody that hurt us. Yeah. Right? And so none of us ever step back and go, like, actually, maybe Paul was dealing with things like you're talking about, Pastor Howie. Maybe he was going like, man, we got to get some stuff in order. Because if, if I don't put some rules in place for right now, this thing is not going to get the, the air that it needs to yeah. get. Yeah. And so we, we look right here. And so we would say women can speak in church. It's not a universal principle for all time. But can they lead? 
Can they lead is our next question. So we're going to look at that as overseers, deacons, and elders. And the, and the qualifications that Paul told Timothy as he's addressing this in, in Ephesus again, what are the qualifications? So 1 Timothy 3. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so he doesn't fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So these qualifications are almost identical to those of a deacon following this and of uh, elders in Titus 1. So I just want to grab these all together. But the bottom line is overseers, elders, and deacons are all leadership positions within the church. They're all leadership positions within the church. And at the well, our elders are our pastors. And we have women pastors on our staff. In fact, they outnumber the men. We have four women and three men uh, pastors on our staff. So why? I mean, how can we do that? It seems pretty clear. Husband and one wife. But we hold this very firmly. And I will explain that phrase in a moment. But These qualifications are not job descriptions for gender-specific qualities. They're moral and character qualifications. In the original Greek text, Paul uses a generic pronoun translated as whoever or anyone. So all the male pronouns you hear in there, there's part of the verb. They could easily be female, but anyone or whoever. So there's one expression in there as a husband of one wife. And it can be, it's an idiom, actually, that's a one-woman man. The phrase means you are a one-woman man. So the phrase isn't about being married as a husband to a wife, but being someone who's not an adulterer. Someone who doesn't cheat on their spouse. Because everything else in there is character. We're talking about character qualities, not qualifications. And so when we look at that, when we talk about a one-woman man, it's... It's simply that it's not an adulterous person because we wouldn't say that a single person could not serve as an elder, overseer, or deacon because it's all throughout scripture where there's single folks that are elders, deacons, and overseers. And we wouldn't say that they have to have kids because we find places where they don't have kids. And so it's inconsistent. It's inconsistent to say that this is exclusive to this gender and this place with all of these things. And the only named overseer, elder, or deacon in all of scripture is Phoebe. And Phoebe's who we mentioned before as a deaconess. So it would be highly incongruent for Paul to celebrate Phoebe for her role and then to say, oh, there's a rule. Phoebe can't do that. It doesn't even make any sense to us. So as we sum all this up, this is what we see from these three points that we've talked about. We see a design laid out in creation as male and female having dominion over creation together. This design was messed up by the fall. But in God's redemptive story, we see glimpses of the restored order played out by women throughout scripture. We see promises given in Joel and coming to fruition in Acts. We see Jesus' acceptance and elevation of women in the gospels. And it simply is not cohesive for these passages that we just read to have a universal for all time impact. Rather, we hold that these were time and space specific to those churches that Paul was writing to. That's good. (laughs) 
If you have any questions, email Howie at the well. I welcome SLC. it. Please do. If you do honestly, <laughs> yeah. I really, really mean that. that. That's not a joke. No, I know. Feel free. Yep. Email me. We'll talk Although it through. I was cracking a joke. It was funny. I, I know. Was, I was breaking the tension. Uh, yeah, I get that. That's my job I, around here. I know, and I'm serious. Yeah, I know you are good. serious. But I, it's good. It's good. Um, it goes back to the beginning of what we were talking about, is that this isn't something that we're, that we're trying to process through and work through. These are convictions that are held by us here. And that they, they greatly inform the praxis of our church. And I know that for some of you, this is a very, very hard, this is a very tense message today. I actually would argue that this is probably one of the most controversial, controversial messages that we will have done throughout the entirety of this series. Because many of us hang on to these dogmatic statements and we're afraid to actually process them the way that we need to for fear of what happens if I didn't have it right. And so we're trying to help us through that. And so what I want to do is, is what we want to do is to close this message out. I want, we're going to look at three things really quickly that we believe these convictions, with these convictions in mind, the story that the gospel is telling us. Is that all right with everybody? Y'all still with me today? All right, here's the first one. Every shout number one. Is the first truth that we need to understand. The gospel promotes the uniqueness and necessity of gendered creation. The gospel promotes the uniqueness and necessity of gendered creation. What do we mean by that? We simply mean this, that men and women play a very unique role in the furthering of the gospel in this generation. That both men and women are needed. And that men and women are not subservient one to another simply because of their genitalia. Oh, it's getting quiet. Thank you. Thank you. How's it? I'm a preach to Howie, you guys. Seriously. Okay, so I, I felt I was wrestling through this after the first service, and, and I want to say this. So what can easily happen is somebody goes, well, well what about that? If you can do this with this teaching, can't you do that with all of gender issues? No. This is why we talked about gender and sexuality earlier in this series, because if you examine continuity across scripture from the beginning to the end, when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to marriage, it is a unified and cohesive teaching across all of scripture. Yes. Okay. And so this is really important for us to have. And so what we need to understand is that God has ordained things in such a way that both women and men are in partnership to see this gospel thing move forward lest until Jesus comes back. Yeah. Now I want to read something to you. This is really important. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is known as the Great Commission. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age if you are simply a dude. <clears throat> I'm the sarcastic one in the pairing today. Because sometimes we need, to, we need to be emphatic about certain things so that we can see what's going on. This is a non-gendered commission to reach people for Jesus in baptizing and in teaching. Y'all see what I'm talking about? And we've got to look at these scriptures. You can't just simply add, well, he meant, I think Jesus said what he said and meant what he meant. And so we've got to look at it for face value. And we've got to look at, this involves the consistency of all gendered humanity, male and female. All right. <laughs> 
Yes, true. All right, point number two. That was a great transition. Well done. All right, number two, the gospel implants equality and authority through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, 27, 28 says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse can be misused. Hear it for what it says. I want to point out these things to you. This verse takes aim at three areas of life that we love to put labels on. Race, gender, economics. And what, they're say, what this verse is saying is these things don't matter. What matters is in Christ Jesus. So to be in the church is to be in Christ Jesus. Now, listen, our race matters our yep. gender matters, yep. and even our economics matters. But it's not the primary characteristic with which we're supposed to be looked through. And it's not meant to divide us. It is not meant to divide us. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things one about the beautiful this things. place yep. that I love so much. But listen, write this down if you can. Equality and authority don't come from a category, but from being in Christ Jesus. Because our culture loves labels, and yet then we battle against all of those labels. We put all these labels on, and then we're like, how do we get rid of them? But we know there's tons of injustice based on race, gender, economic inequality, all of those things. And the solutions that our culture constantly tries to put in are just a mirage. Because we realize as soon as we start to get close, the, the things of power, sex, greed, all blow it all up every time because we're trying to put the kingdom in without putting the king in. Our culture's trying to replicate the good news of Jesus, but without Jesus, and without Jesus, it's not good news. So here's the reality. For those of us in Christ Jesus, the labels of race, gender, economics, not our defining characteristics. It's how we view ourselves and one another that we are in Christ Jesus and it's because we have the same spirit. And we read this in Acts 2. The spirit's on all people, men and women, sons and daughters, old and young. So let's make this practical really quick. So I have the Holy Spirit within me. I said yes to Jesus years ago and have had... God's presence within me, the Holy Spirit. Pastor Erica, one of our female pastors, has a Holy Spirit within her. The Holy Spirit's gifted me. The Holy Spirit has gifted her. Pastor Erica is my equal in that we both have the Holy Spirit within us. And according to 1 Corinthians 12, we have the same spirit but different gifts. Yep. So Pastor Erica is also my boss. Mine too different ways. <laughs> but she's not my boss simply because she has a position over me. It's because the Holy Spirit has given her the authority and the gifting of leadership. She's been gifted with authority through her design and through her gifting. That authority comes from the Spirit, but it's also lived out through her womanness. To presume that my manness somehow supersedes her authority because she's a woman would be sinful. Yeah. To disregard or lessen her spiritual authority because she's a woman would be to disregard the spirit within her. That would be sinful. Disregarding the unique giftings and power of the Holy Spirit's working within her would be sinful. I don't get authority because I'm a man. 
She doesn't get or lose authority because she's a woman. She has authority because God poured out his spirit equally on men and women and has given her the authority found in the gifts bestowed upon her. So I get to submit to her. That's my role. Because she has the authority bestowed on her by the Holy Spirit, I get to submit to her. And may I speak to you, if you're in this audience and you are a man, and when a woman, Pastor Erica or one of our other pastors are up on this stage, and you think, you know what, today, I'm just not going to go. That makes me a little uncomfortable. Can I say, would you please check yourself? Would you please check yourself? Because God doesn't call us to be comfortable when we come to church. God doesn't call us to be comfortable anywhere. He calls us to be changed and transformed. And if you don't show up because it's a woman on the stage, even though she's gifted with the authority and a word for you from the Holy Spirit, shame on you. Shame on you. Sorry. That's so good. <laughs> I can listen to you preach I'll all day. I'll pass you for Let's a minute here, right? Can that's I say that? so good. This is, this is so important, too. We want spirit-filled churches, but we want to negate half of the people who are spirit-filled. We got to reckon with that. And I'll tell you right now, my, my heart is, is, Howie and I will sit in an office and just talk about this stuff randomly, but when we look at what the church is leaning into in the future, it is so important that we get this stuff straight. Can I, can I, I want to say this and correct me in front of everybody if I'm wrong, but um, having women in leadership and authority doesn't make weak men. It's definitely true. Doesn't make weak men. It requires strong men. Yeah. Yes, it does. Come on, somebody. It requires strong men. We're not intimidated. We're not put out. We're not acquiescing. Any of those things, no one's being passive. It's in, it's in the duality of God's creation, men and women, that we actually lead this thing called the family of the church forward into the future that God has for us. And, and, and I know that's a challenge for people, but this is why we're, we're teaching on this, because this is the third thing that happens when we understand this. This is the third part of the story is that the gospel declares Jesus' reconstruction of what was broken in the fall. I know Pastor Howie said this earlier, but why would we look to what was broken to create our paradigm rather than looking at what God has fixed through Jesus' redemptive blood to be the model? So we see, Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says, hey, listen, Adam caused sin to come into humanity. But through Jesus, sin has been overcome. So let me get this straight. Through Jesus, sin is overcome, but women are still subjugated. Jesus is power enough to overcome sin. But we still gotta, we gotta live post-fall in everything else. No, because Paul would say in Corinthians, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. First be reconciled with God and then be reconciled one to another. That's our ministry as a church. It's to take the broken things 
that have been broken because of humanity and sin and struggle in the beginning and to put them at the feet of Jesus so they can be reconciled and made whole again. And then we live into that. The old is gone. The new has come. And the work of ministry is actually to reconcile broken things, broken families, broken racial realities, broken, broken economic realities, and the brokenness between men and women. And I want to say this as your pastor today. Women, ladies, you shouldn't be afraid to come into a church. You shouldn't feel demeaned in a church. You shouldn't feel denied in a church. You shouldn't feel not heard and not seen in a church. And the responsibility of our pastoral team is to make sure that that doesn't happen in our church. So it's with love and humility that we submit these things to you today. We love this church. I love this church. And I hope that we can build something so strong that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Jesus' mighty name. Well done, my friend. You're good. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? We're going to pray like we do every single week around here. Maybe you're in this room today and you're hearing all these things. And as we get to this last point, you, you hear being reconciled first to God. And the reality is, is that like, honestly, I don't believe in seeing the goodness of God's kingdom is going to take place until we are first reconciled with him personally. We can't get on with the mission of making disciples and doing what we've been called to do if we ourselves aren't first reconciled with God. And so with every head bowed today, every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. Have you said yes to Jesus? And if you'd say today, man, I'm not following him. I haven't been reconciled to him yet. Would you make this your prayer today? We're going to all pray together as loud as we can so we don't leave anybody out. But we want to give, even if it's just one of you, the opportunity to say, man, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to follow him. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, come on as loud as you can today in both auditoriums today. Would you say this as loud as you can? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. My past, my right now, and my future. And today, I am deciding to follow you. Save me by your grace. And thank you for forgiving me all my sins. As I repent today and turn my eyes towards you, I declare that I am a follower of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name.